I mean, this is it, it, to your point. So what this document says, fiat currency systems have gone completely missing on representing and predicting fundamental physical trends. This makes understanding and addressing real world issues impossible. Again, they did it on purpose. Adoption of energy currency will not cure this problem completely, but it will strip away several layers of illusion between policymakers and the economic mechanism for which they are responsible. We need to move to a system where money is real, scientifically definable, and used in a way which can be fully monitored and fully understood. An energy-based currency system will be less complex, less prone to corruption, and more manageable. Therefore, it will be more stable, allowing the rest of the productive economy to attain its potential without the destructive cycles inherent in a fiat currency system. Again, created by the banksters. Energy currency in this cylinder form is monetary system per perfection because it is real, scientifically verifiable, and timeless. Yeah, that's that's great. And, and right there, too, when you back up where it says scientifically definable, uh, I'm, gonna, yep. I'm actually putting together a show where I'm going to have a uh, pastor come on, uh, a Christian pastor, who actually talks about some of this AI stuff and then someone totally on the science side. But I had a conversation back and forth with them on Facebook, and I was saying, well, you know, the guy was citing all this science, and I said, because science has become so corrupted, it's politicized, science now is funded by the big corporations, by big pharma, by government, I don't trust any of those, so how can I trust the science now? You have to have just as much faith as you do to believe in God as you do to oh. believe in science at this point. Well, that's a good point. So before we go forward here, uh, there was an interview Chris Whalen gave years ago. I can't remember. It was He used to be on CNBC. He's a former Fed, like on the federal, worked at the Fed, right? The, I don't know. If, I think it was the New York Fed. So he's 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 in tune to that stuff. And he made a comment. He said, guess who controls all the scientific research in this country? It's the Federal Reserve. <laughs> yeah. Isn't I, that I mean, interesting? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, look, you discovered, or you and Maria uh, Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays in the text chain, was that a month or so ago? When we all, when she originally introduced me to you and then you came on the first time, we started looking into Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Inc. And the next thing you know, we attached that guy, Frank Vanderlip, who is really credited with putting the Jekyll Island crew together and getting the Federal Reserve kicked off here in 1913. That guy was going and, and palling around with Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Inc., introducing him to people, helping him raise money. I, I've been digging more into that now because I'm getting ready to do another series on that soon. I mean, do you see the bankers behind the guy that was Technocracy Inc.? Now, why would the bankers back in 1913 be interested in moving away from paper money into an energy certificate? Because th to them, it's not about the form of the cash. It's about control and power. If you have control and power over everyone yep. through the monetary system, then you control everything. The money means not like right now, 
If you're the guy who controls the printing press, you're infinitely wealthy because you can just walk in the back room and print as much cash as you want, stuff it into your duffel bags, and walk into some nightclub and go, look, I'm the richest guy on earth. Here's all my cash. It's in the duffel bags. So the money itself, the currency, the minted CBDC token means really nothing. It's the control over everyone else because as long as 99% of the population accepts that form of currency and you're in control of it, you have control of everyone. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, I think it would be um, a good idea when we're done going through all these documents to go right into reading Anthony Sutton's book. Uh, it's about 100 pages. It'll go pretty quick. Uh, the chapters are short, so that, you know, you could do, I think there's 10 chapters. You can do 10 shows and be done, maybe even like six or seven. And it goes through how the Federal Reserve was brought in to law. And everything you just said is spot on. We're going to do it. I will do it right as soon as we're done with this. I'm going to, we'll kick off the new year with it. Great. Okay. So the document concludes by saying the way forward, energy currency is more exactly energy or, or energy currency or more exactly energy certificates <laughs> should be used as the reserve currency for international exchange. So in effect, nations will be exchanging stocks of energy rather than pallets of fiat currency or flurries of keystrokes to balance their trade accounts. An energy certificate would define an amount of energy equalized to kilowatt hours in a specific form, oil, gas, electricity. Um, I don't see any mention of wind and solar in this document, folks. It says oil, mm -hmm. gas, electricity, etc. Deliverable at a specific point and at a specific time, no more than three years out. There would be no stable or worthless, stale or worthless paper in the system just specific claims on a clearly identifiable quantity of a scientifically defined commodity in a set time period. Defined goods, clear redemption time, rapid turnover means no accumulation of undefined claims. Now, mm. what does clear redemption time mean? You are not allowed to accumulate wealth. They expire. <laughs> These energy certificates will expire. Yeah, and, that, and that's actually written into the original 1930s energy certificate plan. And we hear this echoed in the central bank digital currency plan. I mean, Bo Lee has talked about it. Others have talked about it right out in the open. They're not hiding it anymore that the money is both and programmable about it. and oh, expired. Yeah, it's programmable. It's so cool. You should see it. Yeah, and they actually use the term expirable. And they say, yep. oh, you know, like, uh, let's let's take, and Bo Lee mentions welfare. You know, he's this uh, head of the, former head of the Bank of China. And he's sitting there going, hey, you know, in the form of welfare and food stamps, he's like, mm -hmm. we can make this expirable. So you give it out on the first of the month, and it's gone on the 30th of the month. Now, they say this in detail in the energy certificate document in 1937 from Technocracy Incorporated. They actually say that... The whole idea is that it does not allow one to build wealth, and you cannot transfer it. You cannot sell it. If you die, you cannot leave it to someone. You cannot yep. uh, trade it with people. So it's tagged to you alone. And in and then of course, back then, it was in the form of an index card. But today in CBDC, I mean, that's a done deal. There's no one that's going to be able – if the central banks put it out and the goal is to keep us enslaved, that will not be able to be hacked, I don't believe. I believe that's it. Like, Jim gets – that's 100 tokens in his wallet, and Jim cannot transfer the tokens to me. That's that's how I think it, it will work that way. Yeah, and so this is nothing more 
they want to say is for inequality and inclusivity and, uh, you know, to solve it's for equality and inclusivity. But in reality, it's the exact opposite. Go, I haven't read the book yet, but it's, there's a book called The Earth Brokers. It was a group of guys that were environmentalists that went to the Rio Summit in 1992 and they came back and they go, holy crap, this is a giant scam for the elite and the wealthy to steal money from those below them and, and, and create a larger gap, inequality gap. And they wrote a book about it. Yeah, well, the earth broker sounds just like uh, the 30 by 30, which, by the way, I mentioned that on the interview I did with Timothy Shea. I brought up the 30 by 30, and I was talking about the control of the oceans and the land. I said, we just talked about this on our show, so I might as well bring it up. Uh, all right, so let's go back here. Did he, did he have any clue what you were talking about? Yeah, he's actually a really intelligent guy. He just happens to... I don't know if it's for personal beliefs or it's for business beliefs, but he happens to lie himself into some of the journalists and media connected in with, say, like the Bannons and the Flins and stuff like that. He, yeah. he might have found himself a good home to make a living. That's, that's what I think. What, he did, might have what did he say when you brought up 30 by 30? Uh, I can't remember exactly what the conversation was, but we were in the middle of talking about uh, the future of technocracy. I, I think I might have started to bring up um, some of this stuff in oil and gas, and that's how I got into it. Uh, but, I, but I know when I brought up Peter Thiel, he jumped pretty quick in there and tried to defend him as a good guy who had, who had backed. Oh, he's done good things. He backed Blake Masters. I said, yeah, well, uh, I don't like Blake Masters either, so that's really not a great argument for me. <laughs> like, if you're trying to de <laughs> debate me, do you really want me to go down the rabbit hole of Blake Masters? <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. But uh, then I went through Peter Thiel, and by the time it was done, he was forced to acknowledge, like, wow, that's really bad, because this guy happens to be um, also, like, real Christian. So I said, you know, well, Peter Thiel's on record saying transhumanism and Christianity are very similar because they both offer eternal life. Uh, one offers that with God, and the other offers it here on Earth through immortality. And he's like, wait, wait, he said this? And I'm like... Yeah, oh yeah, he's on video saying this. I mean, he's been promoting Singularity and the merger of man and machine going back to at least 2006 publicly and funding it. And he's like, oh, oh, I, I wasn't fully aware of that. I'm like, yeah, well, now you are. So Do your homework, people. Do your homework. I know. I know. That's all you can do. Try to educate yeah. others. All right. Let's so have, essentially what really they want to stuff. say here is, yeah, this international currency reserve system if it were based on energy certificates, it would have the following impacts. Eliminate competitive devaluation of currencies, uh, which we only have due to federal central banks anyway. <laughs> Eliminate Dutch disease, wherein one strong sector of a nation's economy damages other sectors by inflating the value of its currency. Again, manipulation by the Fed anyways. Eliminate the disconnect between the consumption and the re and real goods production level of nations fostered by fiat currency valuation Ill illusions <laughs> eliminate the problem of distorted exchange rates causing a competitive mismatch in a producer with high marginal material inputs and lower labor efficiency understanding <laughs> another producer is in another country because of exchange rate anomalies look folks all this is is, is like the new york fed manipulating everything they, they they claim they can eliminate that if we go to energy certificates right they never, they never say the real way to eliminate is to eliminate them. 
<laughs> right. And allow, and allow people to just trade and barter with each other. That would actually be like the, the real solution, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't get rid of the banksters. No. Anyways. Definitely that's, not. That's uh, this document. We're done. We're pretty much done with it. All right. So now this one is also from this conference, uh, it looks like, because it's titled the 2012 uh, Tesla Conference, Sustainable Money for a Sustainable Economy. Yep. Now, Admit there- it right here in the, by the last, next to last sentence of the first paragraph. Nearly all money is created by banks when they make loans. Money originates <laughs> simply as credit or debt, a legal agreement to pay in the future. So, uh, Giebert Griffin explained this in a presentation he gave uh, when he talked about how the Federal Reserve was created, that when you go and deposit $100 into the bank, that bank and other banks end up, yeah, they have to keep 10% as reserves. So what do they do with the other 90? They loan it to somebody else, okay? And then, so they loan 90 bucks. I put 100 bucks in the bank. Uh, they keep 10 and they loan 90 to you, Dustin. And then you go put that 90 in your bank. They keep nine and loan 81 to somebody else, right? So when you add it all up, the $100 I put in the bank, the banks end up making $900 in loans. Okay, so wait. So you go put $100 into your savings account, right? Right, 100 in cash. Mm-hmm. They they have to hold ten dollars of that for reserves, right? Supposedly, supposedly. Well, yeah. I mean, not on paper they're supposed to, and right. then ninety dollars they do they can do what you said. They create new loan. They create new loans of ninety dollars. So they they loan you ninety dollars for whatever you're going to go buy something, right? They loan that to and, to me. Okay. Yeah, and then so you, instead of going and buying something, or maybe you do go buy something, you go buy something worth $90. Well, that merchant that you bought it from then puts the $90 in their bank account, right? So right. their bank now has to keep 10% of 90, which is $9. They can now loan 81 to somebody else. And so finally, when you get down to, you know, you do that math all the way out, it ends up being $900 in loans for every $100 you deposit. Wow. This is how the banks get so crazy rich. That's amazing. Okay, yeah, and I saw that in the Griffin thing, but that, yeah, that, that's really good. That's fantastic. So that's basically how they're creating money. Well, I mean, they create money just out of thin air. Yeah. The Federal Reserve creates money. They create Federal Reserve, you know, dollars if you will in, in that system and then the cent- the commercial banks now have an increase in federal reserve dollar money so they increase their bank money in which they make loans on yeah and i mean when you're looking at uh when you've looked at them talking about central bank digital currency and so we covered it here but you have the wholesale side and you have the retail side so wholesale is really just the big commercial banks and the regulated non-banks dealing directly with the the central banks like the here it would be the federal reserve right so that's the it's whole the part. The retail is everything else the federal reserves right, right. The, retail is the, the, the retail is everything else all the manufacturers distributors supply chain retail and us down at the end as consumers yeah right and so everything you you've seen and we're going to go through this in the documents but everything you've seen so far it's it seems like 
their first target is to try to get the wholesale part of this working, right? Because it doesn't yeah, necessarily yes no. it affect all of us at the local yeah. level. It depends on the country. Like Nigeria's already rolled out their retail central bank digital currency, and they've, they've basically forced it by putting so many restrictions on cash. Yeah. Okay, so you think it's going to be, I mean, right now it just appears to be piecemeal. It appears they don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, yeah, it appears I mean, they're throwing spaghetti against the wall. They're not ready on a global scale. They're not ready. No, because at the end of the day, and let's just say the United States, because that's what the majority of people that listen to this are concerned about, although we are number 17 in news commentary in Ireland, and I appreciate you folks for that. <laughs> but uh, no, if you take um, the United States, for instance, in the end, to get it done, you have to have the cooperation of just so people understand this you have to have the cooperation of the central bank which is the federal reserve working in cahoots uh with the government so you need the legislators supposedly to pass a bill to make uh digital currency legal tender you need the executive branch right that would be the president who oversees the treasury and things like that we need that all on board and then on top of it you're going to need the commercial banks and the regulated non-banks, the big players, because if you really listen to their conferences, they need those guys' infrastructure. This is why they're working so hard on this partnership with Visa, because Visa's got 80 million merchants worldwide. So if Visa all of a sudden allows CBDC to flow through the infrastructure that they're testing, building a blockchain infrastructure on top of Visa's infrastructure, then they get access into those merchants right away, and if the merchants accept it, then they can start pushing it out to people that receive social security that then could go spend it. If they could make it seamless, it works, but they need to get all these big players uh, on board to be able to actually pull it off, even just in one country like the United States. I think a couple of things, uh, take a couple of things out of what you just said. Um, first and foremost, Nigeria might be a test case like Cyprus was in 2008, nine. Cyprus was the test case for bail bank bail-ins. You know, your money's an unsecured creditor at the bank. You don't have you don't own it anymore. You loan the bank your money as just a deposit in a savings account. They well, the Western world adopted the same laws after the financial crisis in 0809. But Cyprus was the test case. So Nigeria might be a test case for retail CBDC to forcing it and see what the reaction is. Uh, so they can learn from it and rolling it out elsewhere in the world. It it could be a test case. Um, the other things you said, yeah, they, they need legislation. My gut tells me they're not going to go for legislation first unless they'd have to sneak it in. But they'd be it would be smarter for them to to roll out wholesale CBDC in this country. Let that system work for a few years, then roll out retail cbdc on a completely voluntary basis let it get adopted so to speak to become certain uh, some certain level of the transactions in in the u.s once it gets you know i don't know, pick a number 10 percent of the transaction in the u.s it would be much easier easier to pass legislation to to make it legal tender at that point yeah i agree with you with an incremental rollout like that because the wholesale yeah. side the regular people, the average Joe, ninety nine percent aren't even going to know what's no. going on. They they don't care, right? Because does anybody no, and care? Can, right and now? that gives them time to work out a bunch of kinks. 
Yeah, and does anybody really care right now in your regular life about how the Federal Reserve transacts with city? I mean, no, nobody really even knows anything about that. And the other thing I've told the audience, too, I, you just have to look at it through the eyes of an evil person. If you're going to bring this out on a retail level, let's say you're going to force it uh, by distributing CBDC as the payment form for Social Security, right? You say, hey, listen, we used to have paper checks. Now we do direct deposits. Now we're just going straight to CBDC. So if you do it, you have 20% of the country now that gets Social Security that gets CBDC. On day one, you're not rolling out programmability and expirability. No. If you do that, that's how you get dragged from your house and lit on fire. Like, that's not going to happen. Like Jim said, first you figure out if you can get 10% of the transactions uh, to be CBDC. Then you start to make it 20. Then it's 30. Then before you know it, once you have 90% of the population uh, that has adopted it, now you can start to do those kind of things. And and you'll start with people that are used to programmability already, which is folks that receive welfare, you know, food stamps, EBT, things like that, because you can make the case, hey, listen, we're just making sure you're only spending it on milk and not on Budweiser beer. You know, and that is how you start to introduce the programmability aspect of it. Yeah, and they're they're worried about the unbanked in the U.S. now. I mean, I think one of the documents we're going to go through talks about that, oh, we've got five point whatever percent of the U.S. population is unbanked. And they do this study as to why they're unbanked. They, of course, they don't tell you the results of the study. They just tell you that uh, it's it's inequality. They, they can't get a bank account or they're immigrants or whatever. In reality, like 75% of that 5% don't want a bank account at all, ever. Yeah. Yeah, I saw well, John, you, John. But Titus. you have to read the document to actually see that, right? Because they don't they they put the document out, but they don't talk about that one data point. Yeah, so John, you gotta John, actually Yeah, John yeah, Titus John. goes through that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John Titus goes apart. through it in a in a video you sent to me, and then I happen yeah. to be talking about uh, that as well from one of the videos I was, I, I was analyzing and I said, oh, let me pull that up. And I, and I had said that I had heard it first on John Titus because you sent it to me. And I went and I, I couldn't find the exact thing because it was in the middle of a commercial break. But I ended up pulling up a few articles. I go, here we go. Here's the 5.6% or whatever they say are unbanked. Yep. Now here's an article that was done in a study by the uh, National Association of Banks or something. And it literally said like 74% of the people said they didn't trust banks they didn't want anything to do with it. banks they don't they don't need a bank uh they don't like the fees that the bank's charging so it was literally when you boil it all down it came to like 1.4 million people that supposedly don't have a bank account because they're disenfranchised which whatever the hell right. that means it means nothing because they say most people don't do it because they can't afford to have an account because they don't have any money well folks if you don't have any money what the hell do you need a bank account for to begin with that's what i ask <laughs> it's like you don't need it so it's, it's the interesting point to me that i yeah what i found really interesting is that you know so okay five call it call it five five percent of the u.s population what's that 15 million people so 15 million people don't have a bank account, don't want a bank account, and they're worried about these 15 million people. It's 5%. Why are they worried about 15 million people not having a bank account? Why? Well, that's that's because it's a system of inclusion, Jim. Everyone has to be included in the slave state. <laughs> it's like that's what I told, told the audience when I was breaking it down. Why, why are they over there bothering people in Africa, these indigenous folks that are just over there doing their own thing? Like I, like I told the audience, I wish I was at 
I started this years ago, and I was at the point where this show was like an Anthony Bourdain, where I can go, you know what? Screw it. I'm flying over to Nigeria. I want to find this village where they're testing out UBI, and I want to go talk to the people and hang out and say, did you really need these folks to come in from the West and give you UBI? I want to hear what they have to say. I mean, because you say, why, if these people didn't need to bank for the last uh, 5,000 years, all of a sudden, you're the savior, you're the IMF, the the, uh, World Bank that's going to come in and introduce them to money? Did they really need those Disney uh, Channel backpacks uh, before you guys came around, the Nike t-shirts? Could it be? Could it be? Now, you you will see in some of these documents that basically we got to get everybody convinced and we got to get everybody on board. Uh, That's one of the themes I think I left off the theme that we started with. Um, But it it is in some of these documents that we got to have everybody buy into this because the system... The carbon credit system is so outrageously idiotic, nobody would accept it on its face value anyways. Nobody. Maybe 1% of the population would go, yeah, that's a great idea. I want to be a part of that. Oh, if they so actually they have, understood it, yeah. Right. If they, if they Forget the CBDC. Let's just say they wanted to roll out carbon credit energy system instead of dollar monetary system. What percentage of the people would say, no way, no thanks, it's a large percentage, very large, globally, doesn't matter what country. So they have to create the, the narrative to say carbon is the only way to go. Carbon is going to kill the planet. You know, they got to create the, the climate hustle and the green grift to convince people that the carbon system is actually a good thing because they can't convince them on, on its merits. Nobody would buy into it. Nobody. No, you uh, have to go have they have to coerce people into the system. That's what. Well, you got to dupe and them, them into it. Not and, even and them. them. You got to well, dupe them into it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Dupe them, trick them into it. You got to socially engineer them into it. And, right. and the other reason why I think it's so important, I, I've talked about this before. I think it's so important that they have everyone, right? This is why they're so worried about the couple million people here that supposedly aren't banked and, and the people in Africa and South America, all these mud hut people yeah. that they have to get on CBDC is because if they really do want what the original intention of technocracy was was just systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services they have to have everyone on this system because they want to be able to stop you from buying a gourd off some guy in an african village like they want to have control over you buying a gourd it's more than that if they don't get everybody the people that they don't get, like this five percent of the unbanked, if I if 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 people find that hey, there's other people living a better life outside of this carbon credit credit crap, everybody will leave. Yeah. They'll get drug out of their house again. So they have to get everybody in. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what they don't want. If you're right, if the half Amish folks that run off to Tennessee, West Virginia, these other places live outside of the system, and people that are living stuck in the smart cities on the CBDC start going, remember my friend Jim? He took off to let me give him a Jim. What are you doing? Hey, man, we're doing great over here. We're burning a lot of firewood. <laughs> Everything's nice. What are you doing about CBDC? Well, I mean, I use it when I have to, but for the most part, I don't rely on that system. You know, yeah, they can't have that. 